0: Friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. God's word, may I invite you to kindly rise from your seats and let's have a look at Matthew 5, verses 29 to 30. All right. At the count of three, let's all read together aloud, please. One, two, read. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you, Lord, for this wonderful morning. Thank you so much for your sweet, sweet presence, O God. Thank you, Lord, for the word of prophecy, the word of comfort that you gave to us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, for the wonderful praise and worship that we had thank you oh god that you have manifested yourself once again in our midst and thank you lord because we decide to encounter you in more ways than one and so we seek your face once again today i pray for myself that i might be your mouthpiece and so go beyond the manuscript that i prepared for today that you might speak lord to each and every individual i pray that you might bring about conviction You might bring about correction. You might bring about instruction to each one of us. May we be able to discern your perfect will for each one of us that we might be able to glorify your holy name. We pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to pervade every mind and every heart. Again, Lord, we seek your anointing and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Radical Surgery. I just got hold of uh, news from BBC last uh, February 20. There was a report that was done, and I think it's quite interesting because this relates somehow to our subject matter today. So allow me just to read an excerpt from BBC report dated February 20. It says, and I quote, In an effort to deal with the sex scandals rocking the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope has convened an extraordinary summit of bishops in Rome. This follows his recent unprompted admission that priests had exploited nuns as sex slaves at a convent in France. Pope Francis decided to call this global conference after discussions with the so-called C9. This is the group of nine cardinal advisors who were appointed soon after Francis was elected. The Pope is under serious pressure to provide leadership and generate workable solutions to what is most pressing crisis facing the modern church. Stories of abuse have emerged in every corner of the world, And the church has been accused of covering up crimes committed by priests, leaving its moral authority in tatters. Pope Francis must also confront the assumptions, attitudes, and practices that have allowed a culture of abuse to flourish. The extent of this challenge may prove overwhelming. Over 1,000 child victims were identifiable from the church's own records. He wrote, with credible allegations against 300 predator priests. The report, which is more than 1,000 pages long, covers the past 70 years, and the examples are horrific. In the diocese of Scranton, a priest raped a girl when she became pregnant, and when she became pregnant, rather, arranged for an abortion. The priest, line manager, his area bishop, wrote a letter. This is a very difficult time in your life, and I realize how upset you are, he wrote. I, too, share your grief. The letter was not addressed to the girl, but the priest. In another diocese, a priest visited a seven-year-old girl after she had undergone a tonsillectomy and raped her. In another, a priest abused a nine-year-old and then rinsed out the boy's mouth with holy water to purify him. The report concluded that predatory pedophiles had been able to abuse children because the church hid their activities by moving accused clerics onto other parishes and not reporting their offenses to the police. I read that particular article because I believe that it is quite relevant in our study today. And this news article actually gives us an idea why the Lord Jesus Christ equated lust with adultery. Oftentimes, we do not make that equation because as I mentioned to you, oftentimes we think that adultery is the greater or the bigger sin. And we find that lust is not really that big. A sin, Because after all, we think it is merely the sin of our imagination, the sin of our mind. We're not actually doing any harm. We're not actually hurting anybody. Uh, nobody is actually affected except us. And so we tend to think it's really not that big a sin. However, the Pharisees and the scribes were actually surprised when the Lord Jesus Christ began to equate lust with adultery. And somehow, this news article tells us one of the reasons why Jesus Christ equates lust with adultery. That is because adultery does not just happen in a vacuum. Adultery, first and foremost, is a sin of the human heart. And that is why if there is going to be any radical change in any human being, it has to begin with the heart. And once again, as I mentioned to you, sin does not happen in a vacuum. Adultery, fornication, perversion, wickedness, all of these things happen. Why? Because it is a byproduct of a dirty thought life. It is a byproduct of a dirty thought life. Now, in this sermon, Jesus declares to us His radical solution to lust in two points. And i just like to show it to you on the screen right now for our study. First of all, we're going to talk about the sinful eye. And what's the solution of Jesus Christ? Quite radical. Gouge it out. And what's the reason? He says, it is better to lose the eye than for the body to go to hell. And then next, a stop for us would be the sinful hand. What is the solution? The solution is to cut it off. And once again, we ask the question, why? Well, the reason is, it is better to lose the hand than for the body to go to hell. Again, those radical solutions are in place because, again, as the Lord Jesus Christ said, when you commit lust, you are worthy of going to hell. Now, the big question, of course, for a lot of us is, are we supposed to apply this literally? Well, we will go into that in a bit. But the important thing for us to understand is that there must be a radical surgery happening in our hearts. So let's talk about the sinful eye, first of all, and let's have a look at verse 29 at this time. Verse 29 reads, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, once again, we ask the question, why this radical solution? Why this, this radical uh, perspective? And once again, the reason is this, lust is already deserving of hell. And I guess that surprises a lot of people because, again, as I mentioned to you, we never think that lust is actually a really harmful thing. We don't think that lust is such a big sin. And so we probably we're probably asking right now, why send somebody to hell simply because of the sin of imagination? And once again, this tells you the very high and very lofty standard of God. And this also tells us the difference between our perspective, And the perspective of God Himself. God cannot tolerate any bit of sin. Not an iota of sin would be permitted in the sight and in the presence of God. Now that is the standard that God has for all of us. That is why, friends, once again, this is the reason why we have to have an understanding that all of this, all of the perspective that we're looking at here in uh, Matthew chapter 5 is designed actually for us to be pushed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we realize that the standard of God is actually humanly unattainable. It is humanly unattainable. And therefore, where do you go? Where do you run to? Jesus Christ actually asked His disciples, if you recall, "Would would you now depart from me? And what was the answer of the disciples? Where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's why, once again, here in this particular case, we find ourselves being pushed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here we find the radical solution of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that if your right eye makes you stumble, what's the solution? You need to gouge it out. Again, just to read this passage, it goes, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. Now, here's the question. Did Jesus mean this to be applied literally? Did Jesus mean this to be applied literally? Now, obviously, the answer is, it is not to be taken literally because the tearing out of the eye or the severing of the hand or the foot will definitely not remove the sin of lust because it originates from our hearts. And so even if you gouged out your eye, you'd still be a lustful person. In the first church that I served, we actually began a midweek service in Makati. And in that midweek service, we actually employed blind musicians to do our praise and worship. They were believers in Christ, but uh, they were blind, all right? They were good musicians, however. And so one time, there was one pastor and one evangelist who became quite curious with them. Probably he was thinking about this particular passage. And so he goes to them and he asks them this question. Since you do not have the, the sense of sight, Is it possible that you're no longer struggling with lust? And actually, this pastor and evangelist was really surprised because their answer was, we still struggle with lust. And so the evangelist asked them, but how can that be? You're no longer able to see the women. You're no longer able, uh, you no longer have the sense of sight. So how is it possible that you still have lust?" And this is what they said, and this surprised the evangelists. They said, well, we are aroused and stimulated by the scent of perfume. We are aroused and stimulated by the scent of perfume. So what does that tell you? You can remove the eye and you can still have lust. So what do you do next? Do you remove the nose? All right. Do you remove the nose? To be able to overcome the struggle of lust. Obviously, you and I will not think of doing that. So obviously, Jesus Christ did not mean this to be literal. In the first place, you will notice here, he only uses one eye. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble. He did not say, if your right and your left eye makes you stumble. But rather, he says, if your right eye makes you stumble. Now, this is very important, and herein you find the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was actually using hyperbole. He was using a form of a figure of speech which somehow exaggerates a particular situation. So let me ask you this question. If I gouge out my right eye, for example, is it possible for me to have one pure eye and one lustful eye? Is that possible? Yes or no? No, it's not possible, right? I cannot have one pure eye and then one lustful eye. If my right eye is lustful, then it means but that my left eye is also lustful. So herein we find this was just really the Lord Jesus Christ producing a shock effect on the people. He was trying to make them realize that God's standards are so high So high, he is saying, that you must be willing to do anything and everything, even making an ultimate sacrifice just for you not to go to hell. And again, what he is trying to present here is the lofty and high standard of God. That is why the result of all these passages that we are studying is is, a, is an introspective examination of our own hearts. And I think we're, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be transparent, when you read through this particular section, the Sermon on the Mount, what does it tell you? What is your response? The response is Woe is me! Woe is me for, just like Isaiah, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. For some of us, we would say, woe is me, for I am a man with with a dirty mind. Woe is me, for I am a man with with covetousness. Woe is me, for I am a man with pride. This is the result of of reading and digesting the Sermon on the Mount. We begin to realize our lack. We begin to realize our inadequacy. We begin to realize our insufficiency. We begin to realize that we cannot save ourselves. We begin to realize that our good works will not bring us near to God. Because His standard is a standard of perfection. So once again, friends, going back to the question, are we supposed to apply this? Literally, no. This is a hyperbole Jesus was exaggerating. Now he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, that, that word stumble comes from the Greek word skandalizo. And it's quite an interesting word because what it means is that it is often used of the bait stick that springs the trap when an animal touches it. So what it is really trying to say is this. When you and I allow ourselves to fall into temptation, when we allow ourselves to be seduced by the the world and by Satan himself, the result of that is that we, we fall into a trap and we begin to... To fall into a particular bondage in which you and I need deliverance from God. And so this is the situation. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have fallen into this trap. You know, when when I discuss this particular subject matter, what comes to my mind is one Old Testament character. And you're probably familiar with him. His name is Samson. How many of you remember Samson? Could you raise your hands? All right. We all know Samson. Now, Samson is the real thing. He's the real deal. We've been watching a lot of, you know, Avenger movies. Uh, We've been watching a lot of Marvel movies and a lot of DC movies. And we are in awe, just looking at the supernatural strength and power of these heroes. But you know what? They're fake. They're not real. But there was one man who was a real Superman, And his name is Samson. Think about uh, this man being able to destroy an entire city gate. Alright? Just try to imagine how heavy the city gate is. He destroys that, takes it away from, from where it is locked, and he brings it up all the way to a hill. So just try to imagine the strength of this man. Try to imagine a man who is able to kill 1,000 men just by himself. Not even Bruce Lee can actually fight 1,000 men. But this is the real deal. 1,000 men slaughtered by one man and that name is Samson. But you see, the tragedy of Samson was although he had supernatural strength and supernatural power, the sad thing was, he had a weakness. And what was that weakness? His weakness was lust. And how did it all start? Well, actually, he had the love for the Philistine women. Now, something we need to understand about the Philistines, the Philistines were not natives to the land. They actually migrated from Europe. So they were really of European descent. That's who the Philistines were. Of course, the Jews were Middle Eastern people, but these people, the Philistines, came from Europe, most probably from Greece. And so they had different features. They probably had very prominent features. Their skin color was different. And so this is what actually attracted Samson to the women of the Philistines. Now, understand this. The Bible says, the Bible actually forbids intermarriage between Jews and other nations. Now, this is nothing to do with racial discrimination. God is not a God who discriminates people. He is the God who created all races. So why is it that he makes a prohibition for the Jews not to marry with other nations? It was because other nations that were surrounding Israel were pagan nations. They were worshiping different gods. They were worshiping pagan gods. They were into idolatry. They were into immorality and perversion. There were a lot of wicked things that they did. Actually, they would even sacrifice their own children on the altar. Make it an offering to their own gods. And so, God did not want the people of Israel to be infected. And so, he somehow insulated them from these people, preventing them from intermarriage. But you see, the problem was Samson was stubborn. Samson was rebellious in his heart. All that he recognized was the lust inside of his heart, and he wanted it to be satisfied. And so one thing led to another, until finally he met his match in the person of Delilah. Now, Delilah obviously was not in love with him. Delilah was interested with the money that was going to be given to her by the Philistines. This was what really interested her. And so she wanted to find out what was the secret to Samson's strength. And Samson actually uh, presented to her several things, you know, just to give the impression that if these things were done, then he would become weak. And as time went on, it became somewhat quite difficult on the part of Samson to lie to Delilah because she kept on badgering him and kept on pestering him. What is the secret of your strength? And, and finally, finally, Samson had to give in. And he said, well, if my hair is cut, I will lose my strength. Now, here's the question. Was the secret of Samson really his hair? Was that really the secret of his strength? No, it was not the secret of his strength. Many times if we go into Scripture, most especially relating to the character of Samson, what do we discover? Many times the Spirit of God would rush upon him, come upon him mightily. And when the Spirit of God would come upon him mightily, that is when he would be able to display supernatural strength. So the power, brothers and sisters, was not in the hair. The power was coming from the Holy Spirit. Now, what then is the connection with the hair of Samson being cut and him losing his own strength? Now, understand that Samson was a Nazarite, and he had a Nazarite vow. And what was that Nazarite vow? The Nazarite vow, one of the Nazarite vows was that he was not supposed to have his hair cut. Why? Because it was a symbol of his consecration and devotion to God. And so when he had his hair cut, that symbol of consecration and devotion to God, probably the last thing that he was doing for God was finally removed. And therefore, he lost his strength because the Spirit of God abandoned him. God had abandoned him. What a sad story of a man who went into bondage. Why? Because of lust. And we hear of many, many stories like that, brothers and sisters. People who fall into this particular bondage and they don't know how to get out. Now, Samson probably knew that it was only a matter of time before the Philistines actually caught his secret. Most especially because of Delilah. But then again, he could not help himself. You know the problem with lust? When we allow our minds to linger long with lust, what happens is lust becomes bigger and bigger in our heads. It becomes bigger and bigger in our minds. And you know what happens with God when we continue to entertain those uh, lost lustful thoughts? You know what happens to God? God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually what happens is we have this longing and desire to satisfy that lust. That's why some people have fallen by the wayside because of this. So in terms of application, here's the thing. Don't feed your eye with dirty things. Don't allow it to be an instrument of the devil to pollute your mind. I'd like you to go back to Job 31, verse 1, which I quoted to you out of memory. But again, I'd like us to have a look at this. Notice what Job says. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And obviously, the gazing here is gazing with lust. And that's why, again, the Lord Jesus Christ was really spot on. Because the concern of the Pharisees and this Christ was simply the letter of the law. Their concern was simply fulfilling external conduct. But they failed to realize that behind the spirit of the law, or rather behind the letter of the law, was the spirit of the law. Take, for example, one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not steal. And so you and I might be led to think, for as long as we do not steal something that does not belong to us, we're fine, we're doing all right. But we forget that one of the Ten Commandments also says this, Thou shall not what? Thou shalt not covet. Now, coveting is the reason why people steal. Coveting is the reason why some people actually become thieves. So just by examining the Ten Commandments, you already understand that God was not just simply concerned about external conduct. God was not simply concerned about having a spiritual facade or having a spiritual veneer. We find here that God was really concerned about the inner being. God was really concerned about our thought life. God is really concerned about our hearts. And that's why, once again, this puts us in our proper place, makes us understand what God actually requires from us. Our hearts need to be involved in our consecration towards God. And this is exactly what Job understood. He understood the spirit of the law. And again, he was a contemporary of Abraham. That early, brothers and sisters, they already understood that behind the letter of the law is the spirit of the law. And that is why as believers in Christ, we need to be mindful of these things. Because oftentimes, we measure spirituality by what? We measure spirituality by what we see. We measure spirituality by the actions and the conduct of certain people. And we make our evaluation on that basis. And so we say such and Such a person is actually spiritual, and you ask the question, Why do you think that person is spiritual? Because he does these things, because I see him doing these activities. So, again, that is how we measure people. But God doesn't measure us by our activism, God doesn't measure us by the things that we do on the outside. God measures our hearts, and this is what we really need to guard, brothers and sisters our own hearts. Because as the book of Proverbs says, it is the wellspring of life. If we do not guard our hearts, there will be a slow drift away from God. And the problem is this. Our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can reach the point wherein it actually becomes numb. And when it becomes numb, when it becomes dull, we are no longer bothered by the sins that we commit. And later on, we find ourselves committing bigger and bigger and bigger sins. And we bring ourselves from one level of sin to another higher level of sin. And then we find ourselves in a tragic spot and in a tragic position. And we ask ourselves, why did this happen? I was talking to one minister of God. Who had somehow fallen into temptation. And he started to cry in my very presence. And he asked this question. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? How could I do this? Tears of remorse. Tears of grief. You know, many times we never imagine ourselves in a place and in a spot which you and I will actually regret. But many of us actually find ourselves in those sad, dark, dim places for one simple reason we did not guard our hearts, we did not listen to the voice of our conscience, we did not listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Bible is very clear that we have been given the Holy Spirit as an agent of our own sanctification. And that is why if you want to understand what the Christian life is all about, it is a life in the Spirit, life in the Holy Spirit. That is why there are so many references by Paul in relation to the Holy Spirit. He talks about being led by the Spirit. He talks about uh, being, or rather, praying in the Spirit. He talks about walking in the Spirit or yielding to the Spirit of God. If you want to be able to live a life that is sanctified, a life of holiness, a life of consecration, we need to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And yet, how many times have we disrespected and dishonored the Holy Spirit? How many times have we rejected the voice of the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts? How many times have we plugged our spiritual ears and not listened to what the Spirit has spoken to us? And then we find ourselves in a tragedy and we ask ourselves, why did this happen? How did this happen? How did this come about? Again, friends, those things happen because of our sinful choices. As I mentioned to you, Satan doesn't mind if you fall 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road for as long as you fall. If it's going to be a slow drift for you, then he will do it. I mean, he, remember this, he is an eternal being. He's been here since Adam. Before Adam, he was here. He will outlive all of us. And he has experienced everything under the sun. He knows where you're vulnerable. He knows where he can trick you. He knows where you can fall is definitely smarter than you. And if you are not depending on the Holy Spirit, if you are not immersing yourself in the Word of God, if you are not developing your prayer life, you will fall into this pit, you will fall into this trap. And friends, we don't want that to happen. That is why we need to be very careful. The warning here that Jesus gives to us is to make no provision for temptation. Every occasion which may lead to sin is something that we must must cut off. We must not add fuel to the fire. And oftentimes that is what we do. Instead of moving away from temptation, what do we do? We draw near to temptation. That's exactly what happened to Samson. He should have moved far away from temptation. He should have followed what what Paul said in the scriptures, resist the devil. Or rather, it was James who said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Bible says flee from youthful lusts. These are things that we need to abide by. Let's be careful with the TV programs and the movies that we watch. Let's be very careful about the novels and, and the books and the magazines that we read. Of course, we're aware that some people are weak at, at certain parts more than others. Therefore, temptation actually varies from person to person. But here's the thing. Chuck Swindle said, whatever it is that tempts you, stay away from those things. Whatever it is that tempts you from certain things, stay away from those things. It will not be good if you draw near temptation one other person I recall when you know when I went through this particular passage is David himself remember David what happened to David how did he commit adultery how did he commit murder later on well the Bible tells us that during springtime and springtime was actually the time wherein kings go to battle But you see, David was already in a comfortable position. Why? Because he had won many wars. His kingdom was quite stable. They had built fortresses and he had a mighty army. He had Joab as the commander-in-chief. And so he felt he was no longer needed in the field. He was no longer needed by the army. And so instead of going to war together with his army... We find him in the palace. And while in the palace, and this is what my mother told me, and this still rings a bell to me, she said, idleness is the devil's playground. Idleness is the devil's playground. And so David was lounging around the rooftop, probably looking at the flowers that he had in his own garden. And then again, he saw someone, you need to understand, that the palace of David was in an elevated spot. We actually went to the place where David's palace was, 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 uh, was supposed to have been situated. It was in an elevated hill. And there was a valley down under. And then there were houses on other parts of the hill. So if you were actually standing where, where David was, you could actually see all those homes and where david was standing he was able to see a woman who was bathing now what should david have done at that particular time if he was if he, if he yielded himself to the spirit of god what should he have done he should have looked away but what was his problem he kept on looking he kept on looking he kept on looking until finally last had become so huge in his heart already, he could no longer resist it. And so finally, he calls in Bathsheba. And after he could not really uh, get out of the situation he was in, what does he do? He has the husband killed, Uriah, who was one of his faithful soldiers, had him killed, committed adultery, committed murder. Now, what was the result of that, brothers and sisters? Did God forgive him? Remember, what was the punishment for adultery? Death. Penalty. What was the punishment for murder? Death penalty. So did God forgive David? Yes. And how did he know he was forgiven? Through the prophet Nathan. God said to the prophet Nathan that his sins were forgiven. And yet, sadly, brothers and sisters, he had to suffer the consequences. In his family, there was so much bloodshed. You recall the story of Absalom. You recall the story of the rape of his own daughter, Tamar. And all of these things had happened. All the conflict that had happened, happened. Why? Because of that one wrong decision that he made with Bathsheba. That's why, once again, friends, you do not want to find yourself in a place where you suffer the consequences of your own sinful choices. That's why here we find, why why did Jesus Christ say it is better to lose the eye than for the body to go to hell? Why did he say that? Because again, lust brings you to hell. Let me just read once again this particular part. Jesus says, For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This verse, once again, tells us the standard of God's holiness. Lust brings us to hell. And once again, what does this produce? This produces a need in our hearts when we realize that we are wretched. Remember what what Paul said? The sin that I do not want to do, that is the very thing that I do. And what does he cry out? He cries out and he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? That is supposed to be the natural response. Of each and every human being as we come face to face with the holiness of God, with the perfection of God, with the purity of God, that should be our natural response. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Every person needs to come to that response. As I mentioned to you, this section is intended to push us towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says to us, I am the answer. Wretched man that you are, I am the answer to your wretchedness. Sinful man that you are, I am the answer to your sinfulness. Wretched man that you are, I have the solution." I have suffered and died in your place to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. I am the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Amen? He is the answer. Every man... Needs to go to Christ. All these things that we see in this particular passage point us to Christ. We see ourselves as hopeless. But we see Christ as our hope. That is why we need the gospel. That is why we are not saved by good works. Because we will never ever measure up to the standard of God. Only the gospel can cause our lust. To be forgiven. And only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can empower us to live a pure life. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can give us a heart of purity. You know, oftentimes when I explain what God is able to do in our case, I use the example of the law of gravity. Right here, I have a green bottle cup. And so if I throw this up, where do you think this is going to go? Where did it go? It went all the way down. What do you call that law? It's called the law of what? The law of? You were absent? (laughs) The law of what? Law of gravity. Well, let me ask you this question. If the law of gravity is real, then why is it that airplanes are able to fly? You said, what goes up must come down. So why does an airplane fly? Because there is a higher law in operation. You know what that law is called? It is called the law of aerodynamics. Amen? So you learn something right now. So the law of aerodynamics is more powerful than the law of gravity. And that's exactly what happened to us. I like what uh, Sister Karen mentioned a while ago when she began her exhortation. That when you and I receive Christ, what, what happens to us? We're given new eyes. We're given new ears. We're given a new mind. We're given a new heart. We're given a new mouth. That is exactly what happens to us when you and I come to Christ. That is why the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. The old things have passed away and the new has come. And so the point, my dear brothers and sisters, is this. We have this new life already. And so, when Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Where do we find that? We find that in Romans chapter 7. But in Romans chapter 8, we are given the answer by Paul himself that the answer to all of our sinful problems is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that will set us free from the law of sin and death. It is the law of the Spirit. That will set us free from the law of sin and death. That is why near the end of Romans chapter 8. What does it say? For we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. That is why as believers in Christ. We have been equipped. We have been empowered by God. We have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is why we are more than conquerors. That is why in 1 John it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. The Christian is always a winner. The Christian is always a victor. The Christian is not supposed to be the victim. So we ask ourselves the question, Then why then have I become a victim? Why then am I defeated? Why then am I in a place of sinfulness? And the plain and simple answer is we have not yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit. In fact, what is the symbol of the Holy Spirit when Jesus Christ was baptized in water? What was the symbol? The symbol was a dove. Now, you and I know that a dove is a gentle bird. The Spirit of God is a gentle man. The Spirit of God will not make you into a robot. Are you listening? The Holy Spirit will not force you into His will. That is why, again, as I mentioned a while ago, Salvation, justification by faith is monergistic. But then when it comes to our sanctification, it is synergistic. It requires our cooperation. We cannot simply sit down and say, Lord, do your work without you doing anything. No, you're supposed to yield to the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to pray in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. That's how you and I become victorious. That's why, again, if we want a life of victory, yield yourself to the Spirit of God. So that's how it is with the sinful eye. Now, what do we do with the sinful hand? Let's go to verse 30 right now. It says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So what is the radical solution here with the sinful hand? The solution is to cut it off. And once again, is that supposed to be applied literally? I will explain again in a bit that it's not supposed to be applied literally. But then by Jesus Christ using the imagery of a hand, this verse tells us, listen well, that lust and adultery is a kind of theft. Lust and adultery is a kind of theft. Those who get caught do pay a very stiff price. Kindly turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. Now, Solomon, of course, was the main author of the book of Proverbs. And notice what it says here in Proverbs 7, verse 6. It says, For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. Whose corner? The corner of a woman who was an adulteress and it says here passing through the street near her corner he and he takes the way to her what takes the way to her house now what was the problem with this young person the Bible says flee from youthful lusts the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you in other words What the Bible tells us is to stay away from temptation. Run away from temptation. In fact, I recall the song, an old song, drawing inspiration from uh, the life of Samson and Delilah. And the song goes something like this. Run, Samson, run. Delilah's on her way. There's wisdom there, right? What was the problem with Samson? did not run away from Delilah. And here we find this young man. What was he doing? He was walking the street near the house of this adulteress. So instead of resisting temptation, instead of fleeing from temptation, he was drawing near temptation. And nowadays you don't have to do this physically, at least not in terms of location. You can just have your, your smartphone and, and access internet pornography. You can just, you know, get one of these this phone apps wherein you're able to chat with somebody. And then something begins to happen. You can, ha- you can, you can access these dating apps and so on. I mean, you don't have to go very far, you can actually sin. In your own bedroom by having these phone apps and accessing them. So here's what happens to this young man. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. She's very aggressive. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. You know what this is saying? She was a religious woman. Didn't you see that? I was due to offer peace offerings. Today, I have paid my vow. She was a religious woman. Now, wh- why do you do peace offerings in the Old Testament? You know, those bloodless sacrifices were intended to be sacrifices or offerings of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. So she was a religious woman. She was fulfilling her religious obligation. So it's possible to be religious, but not godly. This woman was religious, but definitely she was an ungodly woman. And so the story goes on. And she says, therefore, I've come out to meet you. To seek your presence earnestly, and I've found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with mirrors aloes, and cinnamon. (laughs) Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. And he has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. Oh, the treacherous seduction of this harlot and this adulteress. And the problem was, this young man was listening to all of this seductive language, all this sexual language. And he was beginning to imagine all of these perversions taking place in his mind. And so finally, he could not help himself. And and the story goes on, says, with her many persuasions, she entices him With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Five minutes of pleasure, lifetime of misery. Five minutes of pleasure, lifetime of misery. We need to be very careful about the choices that we make in life. It is the choices that actually make us what we are. And that is why, what do we need to choose? The Lord... In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy said, Choose life! If God wants us to choose something, He wants us to choose life. Choose blessing, He says. But instead, a lot of people would like to experiment with their own lives, listening to the lies and the deception of the evil one. And that's the sad story with a lot of people who bite into the temptation of Satan. Satan always makes these lofty promises. Remember what how he seduced Eve and Adam? How he told them that they would be like God? That God was shortchanging them. That God didn't want them to really enjoy. That God didn't want them to reach their full potential. Satan lied. Eve believed, Adam believed. And guess what's happening right now all over the world? Everything that's happening in the world right now, including the coronavirus, this all happened because of Adam and Eve. Now, don't just point the finger to Adam and Eve because probably if you were the first man or the first woman during that time, you would have probably committed the same thing. Amen? So don't try to feel good about yourself. If I were Adam, if I were Eve, I would not have eaten the fruit. By the way, it's not an apple. I don't know where they, get, where they got the idea. It was an apple. The Bible does not say it's an apple. So don't feel too good about yourself. Because friends, I believe if you and I were in the garden, we'd probably fall just the same. But look at what's happening to our world. The world in fear. In Australia, they're buying all the toilet paper In the grocery. In America, they're buying also all the toilet paper. I'd be buying food, not toilet paper. (laughs) But anyway, you know, this thing is causing people to to walk in panic, in fear. And where, where did all this begin? It all began in the Garden of Eden. A perfect garden. Perfect life with a perfect partner, with a perfect God. But then with that one sinful choice, everything came tumbling down. Now, again, to the question, did Jesus mean this to be applied literally? Do we literally cut off our hand? Now, here's the problem once again. If you cut off your right hand, you have a problem with your left hand, right? So Jesus does not mean this to be applied literally. Because if he intended this to be applied literally, then both your hands should be cut. Not just one hand, but both hands. So the fact that that Jesus is telling us that you need to cut off your right hand means to say it's not really supposed to be applied literally. Because again, adultery begins in the heart. Sadly, there were some people among the early church fathers who actually applied this literally in a certain sense. Like Oregon, one of the early church fathers actually castrated himself. He castrated himself. Why? So that he would no longer have the this, this sin of lust. But to his discovery, even with his castration, lust was still there. The same thing with St. Anthony. St. Anthony sought to escape immorality and lust by separating himself from the rest of society. He became a hermit in the Egyptian desert where he lived in poverty and deprivation for 35 long years. Yet, by his testimony, he was never freed in all that time from the cares and temptations he sought to escape. Because his heart was still in the world, he could not escape the world. And he quickly discovered that Satan, the God of the world, had no difficulty finding him in the desert. So friends, it's not about physically severing your hand or your foot or removing your eye. The point of Jesus here is that we must be ruthless with sin. The practical principle to apply to prevent lust and adultery is to understand that although imagination is a God-given gift, it could be misused and actually abused. And this is the reason why the Bible calls us to renew our minds. Could you please say to your neighbor, renew your mind. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we go to Proverbs, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. What does it say here? Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and in anything worthy of praise, dwell. Let your mind dwell on these things. So that's how we escape temptation. The battle is really here taking place, brothers and sisters. If we lose the battle here, we will lose the battle with our hands and with our eyes. That's why we need to take care of our thought life. Because out of our thoughts comes sinfulness. Once again, what do we see here? We see here that the standard of God is so high. Again, it points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. aside from the gospel, God has also given us the provision of marriage. Remember I told you last time around that the sex drive is a normal biological function. Therefore, it is a gift of God. But it is a gift that God wants us to exercise only in the context of marriage. And that is why one of the provisions God gives to us is is that we need to get married. Now, this is the reason why I don't believe in long engagements. Sometimes I wonder why people remain in a steady relationship for 10 years and they're still not married. My my point is, if you really are sure that 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 person, your boyfriend, your girlfriend is is the person that you would like to be for, for life, why prolong? Why delay the marriage? So, I don't believe in in long engagements because the truth of the matter is we actually subject ourselves into temptation. Why? Because eventually, we will become intimate. Eventually, our emotions will get the better of us. Eventually, we will want to satisfy something physically. So, why make long engagements? That's why the Bible, here's what the Bible says. Go to First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, please. It says, But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Again, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with with passion. So again, God has made the provision of marriage. Now going back to the problem of the Catholic Church, this is why, listen well, again, I'm not trying, uh, I'm not trying to be controversial here. For after all, when I read the article, it was an article that was prompted by the confession of the Pope himself so it's not something that he is not admitting he is admitting to it and that is why i bring forth before you what the bible speaks about that enforced celibacy is actually wrong could you say this with me enforced celibacy is wrong let me show you 1 timothy chapter 4 verse 1 please Here's what it says. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times. Are we in later times, yes or no? Yes, we are. Some will fall away from the faith. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of whom? Doctrines of demons. I'm not the one saying that. It's the Bible. Doctrines of demons. Verse 2 by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Watch verse 3. Men who forbid what? Marriage. It's wrong. It's sinful. It's demonic. I did not say that. It's the Bible that says it. And by the way, I believe that's the reason why Many of these things are happening to the Roman Catholic Church. Because they have enforced celibacy. Celibacy is not supposed to be enforced. It's supposed to be a gift that is given to you by God. Now, were there celibates during the time of Jesus Christ? Or during the New Testament times? Yes, Paul was a celibate. He was a single man. But Paul says in Corinthians... That one is gifted with celibacy. He said, I've been gifted by God with this. And he says, others have been given other gifts, like the gift of marriage. So again, it should never, ever be enforced. Jesus Christ himself said, there are those who are eunuchs who are eunuchs for God. It's a calling. But you cannot enforce it upon somebody who is not called to single blessedness. Now, if you're called to that, fine. But if you're not called to that, you should not be forced. Then it continues on. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food. Sounds familiar? Which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. You know, as we begin to ponder on these thoughts, we just begin to realize how very radical the Lord Jesus was. And why was he very radical? Because he was absolutely holy and absolutely pure. But you see as he presents to us the standard of God's holiness, Jesus is also calling us to himself. And he is saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. If anyone is weary and tired, come to me and I will give you rest. The whole point in the presentation of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is to make us realize that we need Him. And I pray to God at this time, as I'm about to close, that you realize how much you need the Lord. You need the Lord for your salvation, and you need the Lord for your sanctification. Whatever it is you need, Only the Lord Jesus Christ will answer that for you. Amen. So let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Praise the Lord. Can we bow our heads and and close our eyes? Well, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I wonder if there are some of us here right now who are wondering And you're asking yourself some questions. Probably you're just like Paul in Romans chapter 7. And you're saying, wretched man that I am who will set me free from this body of death. Or maybe you're like Isaiah who said, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. I just like you to know there's hope. And that hope is not found in you. It's not found in your righteousness. It's not found in your good works. It's not even found in what you might perceive as the good in you. Because as the Bible says, there is nothing good that dwells in you, there's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. So your only hope is Jesus. Your only hope is what he did on the cross by dying and paying for your sins. Your only hope is His blood. There is no other hope. There is no other religion. There is no other faith. There is no other Savior. There is no other King. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And He says, no one comes to the Father except through Me. So I plead with you, If you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ. Come to him. And if you feel a tug in your heart right now. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Don't reject the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to be saved. Your name to be written in the book of life. Let Jesus cleanse and wash you. Let Jesus save your soul. Let Jesus write your name in the book of life. And if you want that to happen, you can pray right now on your own. You actually don't need me. And some of you are probably saying, but I don't know how to pray. Well, I can guide you. But remember, this is only a guide. You have to own this prayer. It has to come from your heart, not from your lips, because If you just simply recite this prayer, it's ineffectual. That's why I always say, just because you pray the sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're really saved. But if you simply want to express that faith that is already there in your heart, let me help you. So if there are some people here who want to come to Christ, could you please slip up your right hand to the Lord? Just slowly slip it up right now. Yes, sister. Amen. Yes, sisters. I see your hands. Amen. Amen. Aside from these hands. Yes, I see that hand, brother. Amen. Anyone else? Yes, brother. I see that hand as well. Yes, sister. Amen. Amen for those hands. Amen. You can put them down right now. Again, let this be the prayer of your heart. Lord Jesus Christ. I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Cleanse me and wash me from all unrighteousness. Jesus, I realize my good works will not save me. I will never ever be able to reach your standard of perfection. But you alone, Lord, offered the perfect sacrifice. And So I turn to you. I fix my gaze on you. And I ask you, Lord, to save my soul. Forgive me of my sins. I repent, Lord, of all my sins. And I know, Lord, by my own strength and by my own power, I can't change myself. But Holy Spirit, change me. Live in me and change me. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' blessed name, I pray, amen. Let's continue to bow our heads and close our eyes. When Jesus Christ proclaimed the Word, He always demanded a response. With His disciples, He said, Will you leave me? And at another time He said, Come, follow me. The Word of God always demands a response. So for those of us who are already Christians, but you're in sin right now, you might be having an affair or you're, you're, you're probably entertaining the idea of entering into an affair. You need to repent. You need to ask for forgiveness. If you have been watching internet pornography, and maybe it, it started by just a pop-up that, that was in your email, and you didn't really intend to watch it but then you found yourself attracted to it and now you're hooked or you accidentally pressed onto something and it popped out but now you're hooked you need to repent you need to come to Christ if you're still living in And you've not gotten into marriage. I tell you, you need to get married. Whatever it is that God is dealing with you, let's all come to repentance. Let's not allow this time to go to waste. God is speaking to us through His Word. Uh, Let me give you a couple of minutes just to talk to God right now. If your heart has backslidden, confess that to the Lord. If, If you're in a kind of wilderness, confess that to the Lord. Holy Spirit, just move, Lord. Move right now. Move upon the hearts of your people. Lord, the Word of God has been preached, but you know and understand, Lord, I cannot produce conviction. I cannot produce repentance. I can only share your Word. I can only preach from your Word. I can only preach the truth, O God. But I cannot change lives, Lord. I cannot convert people. I cannot produce repentance and Lord, I plead before you, O God. Let the Spirit of God move, Lord, in our midst, O Father, and produce repentance, Lord. Produce repentance, Lord, upon every heart right now. Let there be conviction, O Father God. Let there be revival taking place right now, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will refresh us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Refresh us with your presence, O Father. Empower us, Lord, in our lives. Renew our passion, Lord. Renew us, Lord, in our first love. Bring us back to our first love, O oh God. Oh Jesus, begin to move, Lord, upon every heart. Don't allow anybody to, to leave this place unaffected, O oh Father. Lord, strengthen our conscience, O oh Father. Allow us to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Allow us to yield to the Spirit. Remove every form of resistance right now. Remove every form of, of skepticism right now in our minds, O Lord. Remove, Lord, every hindrance, every obstacle, every entanglement, O Father, right now. Lord, soften the hardened hearts, Lord. Soften, Lord. Soften the hearts that are hardened, O Father. Remove stubbornness, Lord, from our hearts, O God. Allow our hearts, Lord, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Allow us to listen, Lord, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, O God. Let there be seriousness, O God. Bring back the fear of the Lord in us, Lord. Let there be reverential fear, O God. Oh, move, Holy Spirit. Move, oh, Holy Spirit. We ask, move, oh, God. Jesus. Jesus. You are our only hope. You are our only hope, oh, God. And Lord, you are the greatest of all delights. You are our supreme treasure, oh, Father. Father. Do not allow us to hold on to our sins, O oh God. Allow us to release that, confess that, give it up, O oh God. Let there be a full surrender right now. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which is a two-edged sword, your word, which is a hammer. Your word, which is fire, but we thank you. Your word also is water that cleanses and washes and refreshes us. So we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, reward us, reward our repentance with your refreshing. Reward our repentance, Lord, with, with peace, Lord, let just peace come into our minds and in our hearts. Oh God. Allow us, Lord, to to just sense in our hearts, Lord, the the forgiveness, the manifest forgiveness, Lord. Your love, oh, Father, let, let it be real, Lord. Allow us to experience, Lord, the height, the width, the depth, the length of your love, Father, even right now. In Jesus' name, oh, God, allow us to have an encounter with you, oh, Father. Give us overflowing joy right now and let righteousness prevail. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, oh God. Shall we all thank the Lord and bless him right now. Let's just bless him with our lips. Come on, let's bless the Lord. Hallelujah, let's bring glory to the holy name of God. Oh, we worship you, oh God. Let's worship God, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your your precious presence, Lord. Thank you for the Spirit of God. What a gift, Lord, we have received. The third person in the blessed Trinity living and dwelling inside our humble, weak bodies. Lord, how is it that you have messed yourself with our sinful bodies and yet you have made us your dwelling place? It blows our minds, Lord. It blows our minds. Thank you. Allow us not to grieve you nor quench you. Thank you, O Father. And Lord, we thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes. Our grace gifts and our offerings, Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And would you be so kind to bless us in return. Not because we're greedy, not because we just want more money. But because we want to partner with you in the work of your kingdom. Lord, help us to be a conduit of blessing. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen. Shall we rise from our seats right now? Praise God.